0: Do take a seat, and if you've got your Bible to hand, it'd be great to reopen it at Revelation chapter 5, and I'll pray for us before we ponder these words for a few moments. Father in heaven, as we come to your word now, as we submit to it, as we ponder this great scene in heaven, please guard us this evening from standing back. And looking on from a distance. Please help us to immerse ourselves in what is going on. Please give us a right view of the Lord Jesus. And please give us a right view of ourselves. In order that we might become a people of praise. In all that we do. And we pray it for your glory. Amen. The question I'm going to begin with is a question I've asked you before. It's a question I'll ask you again. It's a question that I ask myself regularly and that we should all ask ourselves regularly. And the question is this. How big is your view of Jesus? You're sat there this evening, right now. How big is your view of Jesus Christ? Because a small view... A limited view of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done, will inevitably lead to a little trickle of praise dribbling from his people. But a big, biblical view of Jesus, a right view of Jesus, as we find in the scriptures, inevitably will lead to an outpouring of praise, a deluge of devotion, an adoration that builds within the human hearts and cannot be contained. It will pour out in all of life. And you see, Revelation chapter 5 is one of those chapters that if we meditate upon it, if we ponder it rightly, it will enlarge our view of the Lord Jesus. We will begin to see Christ... For who he really is. And it will lead to an outpouring of praise. When we gather. And an outpouring of praise when we scatter. Into the world in the week ahead. And so could I ask you as we look at this chapter together. Could I encourage you as I've just prayed already. That you don't stand on the edge just looking in from afar. But that you join John. As he walks through the door into heaven. This is the vision from the beginning of chapter 4. He walks through the open door into heaven itself. That we might see what John saw. That we might feel what John felt. And that we might stand in awe as John stood in awe of our risen and exalted Savior. So we're going on a journey through Revelation chapter 5 into the throne room of heaven. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Have a look down at verse 1 with me. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. The figure on the throne of course is God himself. The majestic ruler, the loving creator of all things. Our sovereign God, who has ruled all of history and will rule all of eternity. He is sat on his throne. And in his hand, it's a scroll. Writing on both sides, sealed with seven Seals. And the scroll here represents the unfolding plan of God's salvation history. And it is a scroll that we should yearn to look into. To see the contents of what is written on this scroll. But you see the presenting issue becomes clear, doesn't it? In verse 2 when this, this mighty angel proclaims in a loud voice, Who is worthy? To break the seals and open the scroll. Who is worthy to take that scroll from the hand of God who is sat on the throne and unfold the rest of salvation history? Who is worthy? Verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look into it. And John is moved to his knees in tears. Do you see verse 4? I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. But then another voice breaks into those tears. Probably heard and probably seen. And it's the voice of an elder, one of those gathered round the throne Who in chapter 4 has been falling prostrate at the feet of the throne. Worshipping God. One of these elders speaks up. Look in verse 5. It's on the screen as well. Look at what he says. Then one of the elders said to me. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. And the seven seals. You see the lion from the tribe of Judah is a picture of God's sovereign king born into the line of Judah. And then the root of David is is another reference for the messianic king. The one promised in the Old Testament. One born into the line of David. A descendant of David who would fully and finally conquer and triumph. And bring salvation to the people of God. And the elder says, John, don't weep. Stop crying. Why? For that king has already come. And that king has already conquered. And as we read at the end of verse 5, he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals i want to read to you just for a moment from this little book, Incomparable, which dwells upon that wonderful picture, the lion-like figure of Christ. So just sit back and relax and absorb this picture. Remember, as you put yourself there in heaven, standing alongside John, seeing what John saw, this lion-like figure that is painted for us in verse 5. Just listen to these words and absorb them for a moment. A lion needs no introduction. The mane, the enormous strength, the roar that can be heard for miles, everything about it speaks of regal authority and power. So high is the lion above other animals in the food chain that in the African savannas other large predators such as hyenas and cheetahs eat their prey at once so as to avoid being driven off it by the lions. The king of the beasts, on the other hand, sits and eats at leisure, even falling asleep next to its meal, safe in the knowledge that no one would dare challenge it. Lions calm, but terrifying authority is obvious to all creatures, humankind included. It is this authority with its strength and power that is suggested by referring to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Like a lion, he's untamable, wild and strong. Like a lion, you would be confident of him winning any battle and would be overwhelmed with fear if you ever crossed him. Imagine provoking a lion to fight or worse, trying to attack its offspring. The true lion king. Roaring from Zion and exerting dominion wherever he puts his feet is a sight to see. But unlike the four-legged versions who fight and win for a while but eventually die, this lion has conquered permanently and definitively and has been given ultimate authority. The only one in history who is considered worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the lion of Judah. And so John, as he listens to the elder speak, he's consumed with this, this picture of the all-conquering, majestic, regal, lion-like figure. And so he turns to look. And you imagine his heart, can't you, skipping a beat. He's about to come face-to-face with the mighty Christ of history. And he turns. And what does he see? In verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. What a contrast that is, isn't it? He expects to see a mighty lion, but instead he sees a lowly lamb looking like it's been slain. You see, the symbol of kingship and power has given way to one of servanthood and sacrifice. The mighty roar he was anticipating has been replaced with a deafening silence. And here's the beauty of the vision, isn't it? Verse 5 and 6, as you look at the lion and the lamb, the Lord Jesus is both. He doesn't switch between the two. It's not one minute he's the lion and then he's the lamb. Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He is majestic and meek. He is sovereign and sacrificial. He is kingly and kind. He is terrifying and tender. He is supreme and servant-hearted. He is the one who has conquered definitively at the cross. Through laying down his life for us. As the prophet Isaiah spoke of 700 years before the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And of course he could have. At any moment, he could have opened his mouth, called on the legions of angels and been delivered from his suffering. But instead, he kept his mouth closed in order to save us. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And for those of you who are familiar with the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, you'll, you'll remember that, that, that moving scene where Aslan, the lion, the Christ-like figure, is killed on the stone slap. But you know what's most moving about that whole scene? Not that Aslan was overpowered and was helpless to fight back or helpless to do anything. It's exactly the opposite. The power of that scene is the fact that Aslan could have fought back. But he chose not to. He chose to die. To sacrifice himself and to lay down his life for the sake of others. So it was with the Lord Jesus. The Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain. And as we read through the rest of Revelation chapter 5, the lamb is now center stage. And rightly so. In fact, in verse 6, he's now standing at the center of the throne. What does that look like? I thought God was sat on the throne and Jesus is now standing at the center of the throne. It's a picture that, that makes your mind boggle. But the Lord Jesus, the lamb is now right at the center. And just as the the living creatures did and the elders did in Revelation chapter 4, as they fell prostrate before the throne, this time they fall again before the Lamb. You see, our worship is to be directed towards both the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. As we read in verse 13, Then I heard every creature... In heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You see, Jesus is worthy of our praise because he is divine. He's God. He's the Lion of Judah. He is the Creator, the Sovereign Ruler of all things. But He's also the Lamb who became human to suffer and to die for us. He's the Lamb who was slain three times. We read it, verse 6, verse 9, and verse 12. And as, as the heavenly beings watch onto this scene, as they see the Lord Jesus in His exalted state, The lion and the lamb. So they sing a new song. Do you see it in verse 9 and 10? They burst forth in praise because they can do nothing else when their eyes are open to the majesty of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God God. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. You see, Jesus is the lion and the lamb died to buy back lost sinners like you and me. From the four corners of this globe and give us royal access, priestly access into the very throne room of God himself. What a savior we have in Jesus. What a savior. Fully divine and fully human. Our creator and our redeemer. You see a small view of Jesus will inevitably lead to a trickle of praise in our lives. But a big biblical revelation, chapter 4 and 5 view of Jesus, will inevitably lead to an outpouring of praise, a deluge of devotion, a heart that cannot help but praise God for who he is and for all he's done in Christ. And not just a praise as we gather corporately here, as we will do now, as we sing together as one. But a praise that will spill out into all of life in the weeks ahead. Because he alone is worthy of our praise. I'm going to leave you with a couple of questions on the screen and the music's going to play. And then we're going to pick up on the back of it and we're going to sing. And we're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to pray. And we're going to, we're going to respond. Rightly to this beautiful vision that we see of the Lord Jesus. So there's the two questions for you to ponder as the music plays in a moment. When you look to Jesus, do you see a lion or a lamb? Because Jesus is both the lion of Judah and the lamb who was slain. And what is stopping you? Adoring Jesus and laying your whole life before him. Let's just take a moment, the musical play, to ponder this great vision of the Lord Jesus.